Good morning. Earlier this morning when I came in here and the, the worship team was celebrating a birthday and, and praying, I do want to just clarify for everybody. Someone, someone asked me this question. It's official, right? You're the pastor now? <laughs> yes. You lost your chance. For those of you who don't know, I'm Pastor Kurt, and we are super happy that you were able to join us this morning as we gather here. We are working through the letter of Philippians, written by Paul to this church that he planted on one of his missionary journeys. And last week, we saw how much he just, he has this love and care for the body that, that God has given them, each other as partners in the gospel, also partnering with Paul and his mission and, and his work. And, and he says that he, when he remembers them, he prays for them constantly with, with all joy. So I want to ask you this question. When you pray, what do you pray for? What are the things you pray for perhaps your your prayer is more like a checklist these are the things i need or these are the things i want maybe you you pray for safety for health for healing you pray for a good day which usually means that everything will go the way you want it to go how you want it to go what do you pray for well this morning we're going to take a little bit of a peek at what Paul is praying for when he prays with joy for this church. So before we dive into the text, let's pray. Lord God, if we actually pause and consider the reality, it is amazing what we are doing right now. The sovereign God of the universe is hearing us. He has promised to incline his ear to the prayers of his people. And we, what we are doing as we pray is we are boldly, because of the righteousness of Christ that we are united with and found in, we boldly can come to the throne of God. And that is amazing. Because we read in scriptures that heavenly angels Angels that when they appear, men and women fall on their face in fear. Heavenly angels, those angels cover their face and they don't even look at the full glory of God. But we are told that one day we will set our eyes upon the face of God and we can come before him. And right now in prayer, we're experiencing that in part. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. Pray that that would drive us to be a people of prayer. Help us to understand that you work and you move through prayer. You delight to hear the voice of your children call out to their father and say, we need you. We love you. We want more of you. So grow us in this, Lord. Help us to be a people of prayer, not just praying for our needs, but praying for the the lives of others, praying that you would be glorified in all that we do. 
So I ask that this morning you would be glorified as I come and unpack a few verses of your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, open up to Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to be looking at just verses 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 9, says this. Paul writes, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. I don't think this is the only thing that Paul is praying for, but we do get a glimpse of of some of what Paul is praying for, for this church. He is praying that they would be loving. Church, Paul prays that the Philippians wouldn't just be loving, but they would abound in love. The Philippians were already loving. I want to point that out. If you remember back two weeks ago when we were reading in in Acts 16, when Paul plants this church, as soon as Lydia becomes a believer, she opens up her home to Paul and the others. Hey, stay with us. It's likely Lydia's house becomes kind of the, 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 the church building for the early church there. We know from, from other passages, and he'll talk about this later even in this book, but, but this church and the churches in this region, they were supplying financial uh, means to, to Paul to, to be able to go out and to, to bring the gospel. They even sent one of their own to care for Paul. This is a church that already is loving, yet Paul is praying, I pray, Lord, that their love would abound more and more. It's, it's amazing when you think about this. He wants them to love and to love in a way that overflows into all their life. I pray that we wouldn't forget the words of Jesus. Jesus told his church that, that people, the world out there will know you are my disciples, he says, if you love one another. But it's not just love to others that Paul wants to abound, it's love of God. We're called to love the Lord with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. It's not singular in its direction. It's easy to say, oh, I, I, I want my love to grow towards, towards my spouse. We're, we're married and, you know, I've got to be by each other and live with each other. And, and, and maybe it's easy. Oh, I love my kids. They, you know, most of the time they're very good, right? Like, wait, like it's, I love my job or I know I need to be about ministry or to be about the gospel. I love these things. But Paul is saying, no, I want you to love, underline, love, period, In whatever situation you find yourself in, Paul is praying that you would abound in love. This abounding love grows more and more when it understands there's no end point. There's no completion. There's no thought of the Christian, I have obtained. I am love. I've loved enough. That's not what love is. Paul is petitioning God. He is pleading, Lord, 
Break down the barriers that stop their love from flowing out. Break in their minds this understanding that status quo is sufficient. They are good at where they are. Pray that you would help them to understand that they can love further and greater in, in, in amounts that is more bigger, larger, supreme than they could even think they were capable of. Do we love that way? That's the prayer that I have for us, for me, for for our church, that, that we would have a love that abounds more and more. And perhaps you're already thinking, Pastor Kurt, you don't understand. There are people out there, I can't love. I want to say, yep, you're right. You're right. There are. You're, you're not capable of actually producing this type of love. If we were capable in our own strengths, through our own means of producing this type of love, we would have to ponder, well, why would Paul pray in the first place? If you could just do it by yourself, why pray? The fact that we pray is we are saying, I can't do this. I don't have the ability to love these people. I just want to be kind and, and, and inclusive here. The reality is, is you probably are somebody in someone else's mind when they think of someone they can't love. We are not capable of this kind of love. And this kind of love is, is, is not what I would call worldly or, or natural love, right? Worldly, natural love is, is rooted in emotion. It's rooted in, in delight, right? It's easy to love things that you find delightful. It's not easy to love things that are not easy to love. Paul is praying. He is going to God with joy for this church saying, Lord, help them to love the way you love. And the only way they're going to be able to do that, Father, is if you impart Christ's love in their life. You might have a supervisor that has been a jerk to you. And the only way that you can love that person is if you understand the love that Christ has already shown you. As you were a jerk or an enemy of him. You might think of a person who has hurt you deeply. And I want to say the love of God as it grows and abounds will be sufficient to help you forgive that person who hurt you. I do want to point this out. Loving someone, being gracious to that person does not mean you put yourself back in a place to be abused. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But it does put you in a place where you can forgive. It does put you in a place where you don't have to hold something over somebody else because of what they have done to you. Paul writes in another letter to the, the, uh, to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. Paul writes these words. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another And for all, right, so abound for for one another in the church, but for all, all people, as we do for you, so that he, God, may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. Man, that sounds very familiar to what he wrote to the Philippians. 
The prayer isn't God make these people lovable. Instead, the prayer is God make them, the church, love. Our prayer shouldn't be God fix this person. Our prayer should be make me loving like you. Change me. Help me to love. That's hard. Because part of that prayer has to include confession. Lord, I know I'm not loving. I know I am not patient. I know I'm not showing this grace and love that you've shown to me. Help me. Forgive me. Grow me. So what's this abounding love look like? It's biblical love. Love that you see in scripture does not have the same characteristics of love of the world or, 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 or natural love. Biblical love is a decision. It's not based on the barometric changes of your emotions. But I do want to point out biblical love has emotion. It has passion. It's just not ruled by those things. It's not you become automatrons who robotically respond in quote unquote loving ways while having no emotion and feeling. That's not biblical love. The world's understanding of love isn't rooted in wisdom. It's rooted in fleeting ideas and passions. I think we need to be careful. We use the word love too much, too easy. We love our family, but we love good pizza. I mean, if you were married to someone or your kids, you're like, really? It's between me and pizza? The world's love is emotional. It's sentimental. It actually seeks the pleasure of self more than it seeks the glory of God. The love that Paul is praying for has this characteristic of of wisdom and insight or, or wisdom and discerning. Paul wants this love to abound, but he wants it to grow in wisdom and discernment. It's a wise, discerning love. Paul is praying that it would be anchored in wisdom, intellectual understanding, especially that that arises from experience. It's also discerning. It means it has insight. It has the ability to weigh things, to judge things rightly. Both of these things are necessary for this love to approve what is excellent. Both of these things are necessary to help it fight this shallow, hollow, gullible love that the world has. Have you ever heard the saying, love's blind? The reality is, is when we see better, we can actually love better. That's what Paul's praying for. Love without knowledge is dangerous. Just as knowledge without love is dangerous. You need both. What's this wisdom that Paul's speaking of? I mean, surely he's not talking about like, well, do you understand how the pentatonic scale works? Or do you understand stocks and bonds? Do you understand the rules of cricket? Do you understand... The five love languages. Do you understand that men are from Mars and women are from Venus? That is not at all what he's talking about. 
right? Long before any of these things existed, God had manifested love in a way that continues to show up. Paul writes to the Colossian church in first chapter of Corinthians, uh, not Corinthians, first chapter of Colossians, verses nine and 10, Paul says this, key in on some of these words here, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Fundamentally, Paul, when he is pointing to this wisdom or this knowledge that he wants love to have, he is pointing to God, the very person of God and his gracious works, particularly the gospel and how the love and the grace and the glory of God is manifest in that. Church, are you wise? Not in the world, but are you wise in who God is and in the scriptures? Take a look at these two examples from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter four, verse 32, we read, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, right? Those are like acts of love. Here's the action, love, love, do these things. And then it says, as God in Christ forgave you, there's the wisdom. You have to understand God in Christ forgave you, then you can understand and manifest this love. Later in the same book, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter five, verse two, walk in love. There's the command. Do this as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice of God. There's the wisdom you need to know. You need to know what Christ has done. Then you can love that way. should come as no surprise that Jesus is actually called the wisdom of God. And therefore, Jesus is the foundation of the wisdom that our love needs to have. Besides wisdom, true, true Christianity and this love that it manifests needs to have discernment, insight, judgment. To know and to support when things should be supported. But also to be able to approve and, and know when it's appropriate to withhold things. We live in a world that says, if you're loving, you allow anything to happen. If this is what this person wants, if you're loving, you let them believe it and have it. But that doesn't play out in the real world, right? I, I love my children enough to tell them, I'm not going to approve something that's dangerous and hazardous to your physical health or to your emotional health or to your spiritual health. And I'm withholding these things because I'm discerning them. This is good. This is not good. You want this. I'm pulling this back or I'm not going to say go for it because I know that's not what's right and good. And I'm doing it because I love you. That's not the world that we live in. The world would tell me I'm unloving. Are we loving enough to go to a friend of ours and say, you know what? I know you're in love with this girl and she's the one that you want to marry, but she is not the one. That's not easy for, for my buddy to hear when I say to him, you got to call this off. And I say it not because I want to hurt your feelings, but because I love you. 
Charles Spurgeon, the, the famous pastor, said this of discernment. Discerning is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. Let me say that again. Discerning is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. I mean, that's easy. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. I pray that we would be a church that seeks in prayer the wisdom and the discernment of God so that we can love in a way that knows and approves what's excellent, what is good, what is worthy. Biblical love is discerning. And it's only that because it seeks the wisdom of God. This wise and discerning love doesn't grow in a vacuum. It grows as we mature in the faith. It, it grows as we, we seek after the Lord. This is why Paul is actually praying for the sanctification of the church. When was the last time you prayed for someone else's sanctification? When was the last time you're like, Lord, and I don't mean just like, Lord, I'm sorry, my daughter's here and I just saw her and I just want to be like, Lord, if you could just make her perfect. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about when I say sanctification, right? I, I, I'm talking about, Lord, will you just help this person to grow in their understanding? Would you help them to apply the truth of the gospel that, that instead of allowing fear to rule their life, they would see that they can trust you even though they don't know how this is gonna play out? Lord, help their faith to increase. When was the last time you prayed that for people? That's what Paul's praying for here because as sanctification grows, godly love grows. As sanctification grows, godly love grows. And we don't have this on the slide because I only made this connection last night as I was going over the sermon. So I might make this point a little bit longer. As sanctification grows, godly love will grow. And godly love, as godly love grows, sanctification grows. It's this cyclical effect. As you grow in sanctification, your love will grow. But as your love grows, your sanctification grows. Paul is praying for these people. He says here in verse 10, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, the day when Christ returns. Be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. He's talking about sanctification. Be holy and blameless. Are they saved? Yes. Are they sanctified? Are they set apart as holy? Yes. But they're also being saved. They also are being sanctified. Even Paul, this, this holy, righteous missionary, writes later in the same book, in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this, right? Like, I'm not done. I'm still growing in my sanctification. I'm not perfect, he says. But I press on to make it my own. Because Jesus has made me his own. Up oh, there it is again. He's, he, he wants to grow in sanctification. How does he do that? He remembers Christ made him his own. 
I think we struggle to be sanctified, don't we? We begin to think we can do it. We want it to happen faster. But sanctification comes by the grace of God. So we need to set our eyes on the right thing. Too often we're like, I, I, I did it again. And we just keep looking at this thing instead of said, I did it again. And setting our eyes on Christ. Seeing and growing in our wisdom of him. And as we do, that grows us. If you want to be pure and blameless, turn to Jesus and repent. Remember what he has already done for you. Want to bear more fruit of righteousness? Turn to Christ, the one who is your hope and righteousness. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 is a famous verse. You know it. I know maybe you're thinking, I don't know it. You do. It's work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And so you might be thinking, so you just said I need to have Jesus do this in me. But right here, Paul writes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So you do something? Yes and no. Because the very same sentence, we stop at 12. I hate those little floating numbers in the Bible because they butcher it. Verse 13 is the same sentence of verse 12, which the very next verse, which is the same sentence, says, for it's God who works in you both the will and to work for his good pleasure. So if you really want to work out your fear, work out your salvation in, in fear and trembling, you need to set your eyes on Christ because he's going to drive in you a desire to want to work that out. Sanctification grows love. Love grows sanctification. With wise discerning love abounding more and more, you will manifest the fruits of righteousness. All the attributes of the fruits of the Spirit, excuse me, of the fruit of the Spirit, grows from the very first attribute, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of those things come from love. If you can show love, you can find joy even in hard situations. If you're loving, you are pursuing peace and you want peace to abound. I'll tell you this, the people I love the most, they get the most patience from me. The people I love the most, I'm the kindest to. Goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all those things come out of love. Paul's praying that their love would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. Why? Do you remember 1 Thessalonians? I read it earlier. Chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Paul says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, right? Grow in love, grow in love, grow in love. Why? So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Pray for love because as you grow in love, you'll grow in sanctification. Why does Paul pray for spiritual fruit in these people? Why is he praying for love that they would grow in sanctification? Because he knows what Jesus said. In John 15, verse 8, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. 
and so prove to be my disciples. Why does Paul pray these things? Why does Paul want their love to abound? Because it's easier to love people when people are lovable? Is it easier to to just grow in, in holiness? Is that all that Paul is about? Is Paul's focus on the church? In a way, yes, but it actually isn't. Because if you actually look at our passage here, he starts with love, right? In verse nine, he says, I pray that your love would abound. Here's the foundation, right? Here's the starting line. And I want that love to have knowledge and discernment so that you're able to approve what's, what's good and excellent. And then he's building so that you would be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And here's the finish line. To the glory and praise of God. Everything Paul is about is for the glory and the praise of God. Why does Paul pray that this church's love would abound more and more? Because he is about the glory and the praise of God. Growth in love glorifies God. If you want to glorify God, God, sorry. If you want to glorify God, one of the easiest things to do is grow in love. Sometimes we have these huge ideas. I need to do this. I need to obtain this. And then God will receive glory. You want to glorify God? Don't get mad at the person who cuts you off on the road. You just gave glory to God. Pray for that person. Lord, I pray that you would help my love abound. But help that person's love to abound. That they don't do this ever again. Right? Like. Do you want to have God glorified? Love your enemy. Even when your enemy looks like your friend or coworker. If God is love, surely loving the way God loves would glorify him. I'm not going to tell you love more. Because you can't do that. And I know you can't do that because that's why Paul is praying this. He's going to God, the one who can work that out in your life. I'm not going to tell you get your act together and make yourself pure and blameless. Be righteous because you can't do that either. Which is why Paul goes to God in prayer and says, work this out in them, Father. The only way we grow in these things is through the power of the gospel. You never outgrow the gospel. If you're familiar with Paul's writings, he often has this instruction, do these things, be about these things, live this way. And then he usually says this word, because, and then he goes into the gospel. Look at what Jesus has done for you. Look at who you are because of what Christ has done. His righteousness is now counted as your righteousness. And you can live in a way that you didn't want to live before. And the reason you live that way is because the gospel is working in you and transforming you. Or what Paul says, he starts with the gospel and then he uses this word, therefore. And then he gives you the command, do these things. So I pray, whether you've been a Christian for three minutes or you've been a Christian for 30 years, please don't think you're done with the gospel. 
What I have observed in my own interactions in life, what I have observed in the readings of, of godly men and women, what I have observed in these missionaries that have poured out their life and their blood on the mission field is that they never move away from the gospel. Where's that love come from? It comes from the gospel. So here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Unfurl the sails. Unfurl the sails of your life. Right? In case you don't know what I'm talking about, sailboats, right? They, they roll up their sails. That's how you see them when they're in the marina. But the only way they get the power to, to move forward is to unfurl them, to, to unroll them, to, to hoist them up so that they catch the wind, which is the energy that moves them across the sea. So I am saying to you, unfurl the sails of your life. Put yourself in places where you can know the wisdom of God by knowing who God is. One of the greatest ways you want to unfurl the sails, open your Bible. See who God is. Find delight and joy. This is the God who, who thinks of me. Yes, unfurl the sails of prayer. Go again and again to pray. Unfurl the sails of, of the spiritual disciplines. Maybe take time to intentionally fast to remind yourself that true life is not found in the food that you shove into your mouth. Find accountability. Find someone to mentor and disciple you. You know, like if, if your life is the sail, open it up so that you can catch as much of God as you can. And you might be surprised. I don't know how it fully works. I don't get it. But I know when I stand there and I'm trying to get as much of God, trying to get as much of him in my life, man, I really start to love a lot more. And I don't do it on purpose. It just comes out of me. And sometimes I'm shocked. I'm like, where did that come from? Oh, I know where it came from. Not for me. So unfurl the, the sails of your life. Put yourself in the place where you can know God and see his love for you. Grow in his grace and just experience the goodness of the one who has promised that he has began a good work in you. Remember this from last week? Verse 6. He began a good work in you. Will surely bring it to completion. All of this starts and ends with God. He began the good work. He'll bring it to completion. Do you know what the completion point is? It's God. You end up with God. We glorify God as we conform ourselves to his son. We glorify God as we seek his wisdom, his power, his grace, his love. We glorify God when this biblical love manifests in our life day by day as we're growing in it. Paul is praying for the Philippian church. I pray that we would be praying for one another in this church that God's grace would abound, that through his son we would be about his glory and we would find ourselves more loving than we were even just the day before. Why? Because we want God to be glorified. I don't know how it all works. But I do know that if you would unfurl your life, you would see God glorified in your life so much more than you do right now. 
And I want to encourage you to continue with the sailing analogy. Maybe you have the sails open, but you need to trim the sail. Maybe tighten one of those reins so that you can actually catch that, that breeze a little bit better, a little bit fuller. Unfurl the sails so that God would be glorified as your love abounds more and more. Let us be a people who are praying this for our church, for ourselves. You will never obtain the end of love. Because love goes forever and ever. Praise God that he is a loving God who loves that way. Because we need his love forever and ever. Let's go before the throne of God right now. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when love hasn't been our natural response. Forgive us when we have withheld showing you by our love. Lord, help us to unfurl the sails that we would catch the mighty power of your rushing wind and it would propel us to love, to grow in sanctification. And as we grow in sanctification, we'll love more. And as we love more, that will produce this holiness in our life. Lord, help us to, to evaluate ourselves rightly because all of us can grow here. So let us pray for others, but let us also pray for ourselves. Lord, help us to have a love that abounds more and more. Help us to pursue the wisdom so that we would have understanding and grow in love. Help us to have a love that's discerning, that's willing to love enough to say no, but also loves enough to say yes. We do this all, Lord. We want this in our life and in the lives of the saints and the lives of others because we want you to be glorified. We want you to receive all the praise, all the honor. We want to make much of your name. If our love is just like the world's, there's no glory to you. But when we love the way you love, people say, how, why? And we could say, because he first loved us. Increase our faith and so increase our love. We pray this in Jesus' name, the one who is the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Amen.